Next step number 786, January 21st, 2024. Hi, this is Susie from In His Shoes Ministries welcoming you to the Next Step Podcast with Father Vazgan. With these podcasts, Father Vazgan provides a very distinct and consistent voice for Armenian Orthodoxy. It is the means for providing people an intelligent and practical answer to life's difficulties based on the solid principles of love, faith, and hope as expressed by our Lord, Jesus Christ. We produce these shows every week for a vast audience, which includes those who are searching for practical and deeper applications of faith, the disenfranchised members of the church community, and, of course, the neophyte. So we invite you to sit back, Turn up the volume and get ready to take the next step. Well, welcome. So good to have you with us today. And I've got to admit, it's so good for me to be with you today. Yes, it is 2024. Hard to believe. Those of you old enough, yes, this stretches the memory a little bit. When we were just turning the millennium, right? Not only the century, we hit the millennium mark. We called it Y2K, the year 2000, Y2K, year 2K. And oh, the planes were going to fall out of the air, <laughs> the air. we're going to see the collapse of life as we know it and everything like that. And here we are 24 years later. Yeah, it's hard to believe. It really is because, you know, I don't know what it is, but life is going by at a, a multiplied rate. And I sound like an old guy, which I am, okay, but it it does happen. It is a really weird phenomenon. And I think I've shared this with you before. I mean, I look at my grandsons, you know, who one is two years old and the other is uh, four years old. For them, one year is like a half a lifetime, right? Or a quarter of a lifetime. For me, one year is like, oh, it's like a tiny little sliver of that lifetime. You know, like at a 60, 65 little uh, sliver of that entire lifetime. So I think it just goes by faster because relativity takes place. Yeah, relativity, our old friend, how you look at it. And I am so glad to be here today because I've been wanting to do this particular podcast for a while. The last one I did, we um, we had an interview with Maestro Rafi Mikhailian. I hope you enjoyed it. I got a lot of nice uh, remarks about it, and it was he's just a fascinating guy. He's back in Armenia, but today I wanted to do something that has been heavy on my heart, and that's in particular about what's going on in the world, especially what's going on between Israel and the Palestinians, and our response to that. As you know, we started the next step in 2008. And before that, it's been an interesting journey because we evolved from the In His Shoes ministry, and now we're building up apostle ministry, apostolic evangelism. And that word evangelism has nothing to do with the current state of evangelism that takes place in America. That evangelism is a pure, basic way of spreading the news. In fact, when I was serving in Cupertino, I remember Apple Computer, when they were just starting out, had Apple 
evangelists. These were people who were proclaiming the good news about what Apple products can do. And so I never feared using that name, evangelism, until recently when I realized that, you know, it, it, it connotates something else in today's society. And even more uh, for me, it's been a struggle because I've tried to reclaim what it means to be Christian. And if you've been following these podcasts, you've been following the work that we do on Epostle, you know that this is a very central issue for me. Somehow, when uh, people think or know that you're a Christian, they label you. They know that you belong to a particular political persuasion. Uh, your your views are right of center. Uh, they can basically tell you what you believe in and everything because you are a Christian. And let it be really clear that Christianity is not a political means. It's a way of life. And that way of life is governed by a very simple prospect, and that is love above everything else. Love. And this gets us into trouble because people don't want to, don't want to get involved in the love game because it's so much easier to hate. And on top of it all, that Christianity has been labeled as a part two to Judaism. Yeah, that's what most people think it is. And I've been sharing with you some detailed information that, you know, this isn't really what Jesus was all about. Jesus didn't come to um, uh, build a part two to the Jewish experience. No, his message was completely, completely radical. And so during the Christmas time, Christmas season, during the Advent season, I did a 50-part series, 50 parts that came out every day. It was called Advent, a 50-day journey. And you know what? If you binge on certain things on Netflix, you binge on streaming services and you watch, you know, just a lot of stuff. This is each one. They average about five minutes. Okay. So 50 times five, what is that? 250 minutes. Um, I would strongly recommend binge on this because it was a really important piece of work that I did. And we're looking at getting this published within the next few months. I called it 50 Day Advent, we looked at the essential teachings of Jesus. And where do we find those essential teachings? We find them in the Sermon on the Mount. People come to me many times and they say, I want to read the Bible. And I say, why? You know, why, what's, what's the Bible about? What, why is it that you want? Well, I've heard that it's good. Okay, I said, if you're going to read the Bible, start off right here. Start off Matthew chapter 5 through 7. You're going to read about Jesus Christ's teaching. This is the essential teachings. Then back up and start reading the gospel accounts. Start reading who Jesus was, what he did. But the first part, the Sermon on the Mount, is basically the message. And that message of Jesus has been missing from the Armenian church and, well, actually from a lot of traditional churches, that message. And I'm, I'm using the word carefully, missing. I'm not saying that it's been hidden, it's been taken away, because I don't think it's intentionally missing. 
I think we've forgotten about it because when you look at the Armenian church, I mean, I I really have a hard time, not because it's mine, I have a hard time blaming the Armenian church. Uh, when you look at in the last hundred years, you know, we, we had a genocide. After the genocide, the the leadership was basically gone. There was no church. Then we had 70 years of communism. And then all of a sudden, boom, we were, we were allowed to be free. Yes, we were allowed. Don't, don't fool yourself. It's not like there was a revolution and we said, okay, we're now free. No, it was basically part of that entire Soviet Union falling apart. And we were kind of ill-prepared at the time. And for these last 30 years, I think it's been 30 years is not a lot of time since 1991 when uh, communism or, or the Soviet Union fell apart. It's not a lot of time. And it's been we're trying to find our, our grounding. Yeah. Yeah. There's people who will criticize and say, well, 30 years is a lot of time. You should have done this. You should have done that. But no, and I'm not I'm not quick to say that. But what I do want to say is that. When you look at what we have today, it's basically keeping the church in the status quo. And that status quo is recited in the creed. We have the Nicene Creed, which we repeat every Sunday. Now, uh, we have other creeds too. And this creed is basically what we believe. This is what I believe. It's a creed that was established in the year 325. And there's few minor variations of the creed. But basically, those people who proclaim to be Christian followed this Nicene Creed. It's a formula. It's a formula of this is what we believe. We believe in the Father. We believe in the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the church, the body of Christ, and so on. So we've got these four points in the Nicene Creed. And interestingly, when you read the portion about Jesus Christ, we believe in his birth, we believe in his um, in his baptism, we believe in his uh, betrayal, his crucifixion, his burial, his uh, resurrection, and his ascension. But what we failed to say is that he brought a unique message. Now, why I don't blame the church? Well, you know, when we when you're living inside of a homogenous area, that message is just part of the way you live. It's the way you live. I mean, they didn't. When you look at the Armenian Church and where it was, it was basically within the system. You just had this group of people that were living there, and the center of it was the Armenian Church for hundreds of years. So that idea, like, what was the message? Well, the message was being taught to you every Sunday. You didn't need to repeat it in a creed. It was part of the Sunday ritual that came to us as, as a liturgy, and it was accented with a sermon or a message that was given out, and usually about the scriptural passages. So the messages were delivered to the people vis-a-vis the church. On a regular basis. Now, when you have this current situation where you have this uh, uh, secularized world, secular society, and people don't have the church as the center of their faith, and you need to accent or you need to actually say that there is a message that Jesus Christ had. I, I hope I'm, I'm explaining this properly. In other words, before, you could say that 
this is what we believe, the Nicene Creed, this is what we believe, and then you would know the message because you would hear it in the church. Today, where the church is not the center of the community, of the community life, we need to mention that the church has a unique message, and that message was articulated by Jesus Christ. He articulated that in the scriptures. Yes, we say that in the Nicene Creed. We say that the Holy Spirit inspired them. But we don't say that Jesus Christ had a unique message. And I'm, and I'm calling this a missing part of the formula. Um, Pope, uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. I ran across this just the other day. It says, Pope, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. God rest his soul, of blessed memory. He said, these Orthodox churches have an authentic doctrine. Okay, he's, he's talking about the Orthodox churches, of which we are one of them. The Orthodox churches have an authentic doctrine. But it is static, petrified, as it were. They remain faithful through the tradition of first Christian millennium, but the re they reject later developments. In other words, during the first century or in the early church, yes. Well, yeah, we it was a different church at that time. I mean, today we have a whole assortment of lifestyles that were not accepted, were not part of the equation. Even if they existed, they were not part of the equation when you're sitting and talking about, uh, about community life, about what it meant to be an Armenian Christian. Today you do. And today we have many, many factors that play into what it means to be a Christian. And so that message is essential. And so for that reason, I, I put together this 50-part series. 50 because in the Armenian Church, Advent is a 50-day period, okay? So it's a one little lesson for every day of, the, of, of Advent. And there you go. Sit down and binge on it. And learn what the essential teachings of Jesus are. And what you're going to find is that it is not Judaism. All right, this is really important because we're, I'm going to get into this. We're seeing a war. We're seeing a war in our lifetime that we said never again. It wouldn't happen. And especially we as Armenians. We are the first Christian nation. We love to say this. Why aren't we talking out about this? I know there are some people that are saying, well, Christians need to oppose this. And the way you oppose it is by being stronger and a bigger bully and, uh, and fire versus fire, more fire. And th that's absurd. There is no Christian spin to war. There is no Christian spin to it. It's, it's very simple. And you know, if you've been listening to the next step, if you've been listening to me, you know that it's just simple. Uh, we, we don't shy away from science and from mathematics. And mathematics has a very simple principle. A plus A equals 2A. It doesn't equal minus A. What am I saying? Fire plus fire equals more fire. War plus more war equals more war. I mean, <laughs> it's ridiculous to think that fighting back in the way that they're doing right now is going to stop war. 
In fact, it's only creating more war, and we're seeing that right now. Now, before I go there, again, Jesus was not a continuation of Judaism. In fact, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, when you follow his teachings, you realize why they executed him. You realize why he was such a threat. Because he was advocating for a winning through love, through nonviolence, through resistance nonviolently. And it's remarkable when you go through everything because you realize that Jesus is talking at a higher level. So let's put this into perspective and kind of get into some of the specifics. Uh, you know, for me, this is very close to my heart. I went to Rwanda in 2006. And there I met with people from the Hutus and the Tutsis. They had been a genocide just a few years back. And I was appalled that they referred to genocides, plural, because, you know, as an Armenian, you're just accustomed to that word genocide being attributed to you. I made this motto in the 1990s for me that when I met with the Catholicos of the Indian Orthodox, the the Church of Malabar at the time, I met with the Catholicos and he told me that, uh, or he suggested that as Armenians we have this mission to be, to, to pronounce, to pronounce the suffering of people. We know the crucified Jesus. And, um, you know, those, I'm not going to get into either one of those and I have also one where I've shared with you about the, the the ethnicity of Jesus. Yes, throughout the whole Middle East, everybody traces it to their father. The Jews have figured out that they trace it to their mother. You are a Jew if your mother is, is a Jew. And um, you ask them, when did that change? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, God bless all the women, but in a patriarchal society such as what you have in the Middle East, why is it that only the Jews trace their lineage by their mother? And you find that that changed in the year, uh, year 70, I think it was. It was after Jesus Christ, basically. Well, yeah, it makes sense, right? If you change, if you trace him by his lineage according to Mary, then he's a Jew. But if you trace it by his father, then he is the son of God. He is beyond ethnicity. He belongs to everyone. And this is why when you go into an Armenian church, the Jesus in the iconography looks Armenian. When you go into a Japanese church, Christian church, Jesus looks Asian. When you go into an African church, Jesus looks a man of color, and so on and so on. And this is one of the beautiful things that we have as Christians. We understand Jesus in the way he speaks to each of us. And he speaks to us each in a very special language. It's the language of love. And the bottom line is that we are all his children. If you depart from that route, that's when you get into this difficulty. That's when you have these problems of war and more war. Now, let's get more specific about us as Armenian Christians. Armenian Christian comes with the baggage of genocide. Now, what is genocide? You know, I've shared this with you many times, that genocide is about 
getting rid of the entire gene pool, right? Suicide is getting rid of the person, his self. Uh, homicide is getting per- rid of another person, killing another person. Genocide, getting rid of the gene pool. Actually, it was Raphael Lemkin who first conceived of this term genocide in 1944. And it was in reaction to the Holocaust, but it pertained specifically to the Armenian situation too. And so we were quick to notice that the Armenian genocide of 1915 or the Armenian massacres of 1915 can and do qualify as genocide. It's a systematic program. And what they have is the the eight stages of genocide. It begins from classification, symbolization, and dehumanization. Or Let me go through them. You know what? It'll be easier. I'm going to put a link to everything we talked about so far on today's show notes, including the eight points. I don't want to get into it. We've spent a lot of time talking about these in the past. What's important right now is specifically dehumanization. When October 5th happened and Hamas attacked Israel, Israel was very quick to say that they will destroy Hamas. And the people that they went after was were the Palestinians. Well, yeah, because Hamas is right there among the Palestinians. And there was this brutal, brutal attack on Palestinians, on people. And I, I don't go for that whole thing about women and children because what about these young boys? What about these soldiers? They are somebody's child. They brutally attacked people and killed people. And Israel's um, comeback is, well, they did it first. Now, Last week, we had the Martin Luther King uh, annual annual get-together at In Issues. And this year, we listened to specifically Martin Luther King's message on loving your enemy. And he makes a very important point. He says, at some point, somebody needs to have the moral courage to listen to what Jesus said. Somebody needs to stop the fighting. And, uh, you know, it's been 20 years. In 2004, we did the first Martin Luther King retreat where I drew the parallels between what we have as Armenians and the black American experience. Unlike the Jews, the Armenians were living in their own homeland when the genocide took place. We weren't in somebody else, somewhere else. Same way, blacks were Americans living in their homeland and they were being discriminated against and still are in many ways. They will make the point about that. Martin Luther King came on the scene. There was discrimination, huge discrimination between having black and white water fountains, black and white seating, and so on and so on. So number one, we have a, such a, 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 a distinct distinct connection with the black American experience, not only for those reasons that we were in our homeland, but retribution was given to the the Jews after the Holocaust, there were the Nuremberg trials, people, the war criminals were convicted, there was retribution given. Up until today, nobody has acknowledged, well, Turkey has not acknowledged that a genocide took place in 1915. So anyway, the connections 
with black Americans are much tighter. And the biggest connection is we're Christian. We follow the teaching of Jesus, and Martin Luther King specifically uh, directed us in that way. He said, love your enemies because it is a higher principle which Jesus Christ preached. Not only did he preach it, he lived it. So, once again, you know, I'll have a link on today's show notes. I I highly encourage you to listen to Martin Luther King's uh, sermon on loving your enemies. But I want to get to the eight stages of genocide, and specifically to the dehumanization one. Because one of the things that makes it easy to target another person is by dehumanizing them. They're not a person. People will ask, how can, how did the Germans go about killing others? How did the Turks go about killing their neighbors, the Armenians? It's by dehumanizing them. If you look at the wording of the Armenian genocide, it was to exterminate Armenians. Just the use of the word extermination already conjures up images of pests. And we have, what do we do with the pests? We exterminate them. We get rid of them. When we had our guests from Rwanda, they were staying over our house. Um, This is back in 2007 when we had invited them for the forgiveness conference. And one night, Susan and I, we went walking with uh, the couple that were living at our house. They they were staying over. And uh, we came, I think it was near the park area. There was a trash bin and there were cockroaches around the trash. And uh, our guests, they screamed. She screamed because they were taught that they were the cockroaches and cockroaches needed to be exterminated. So this dehumanization, you no longer refer to the enemy as a person. And look what's happening right now. What's happening? What is Israel doing? We are not killing Palestinians. We are killing Hamas. Well, the people that are that are Hamas are Palestinians. But basically, you've now categorized them. Not as people, but as Hamas. And if you could successfully do that, you can orchestrate the rest of the annihilation program. And that's what we're seeing. I think the biggest problem that I'm having right now is that we are talking about all of these horrendous acts. And you have world leaders standing on the stage and kind of observing it. And this should be a real tip-off. I, among my people, Armenian people, I was one of the few voices that said, stop wasting time with politicians. They could care less about your, about, about what's going on in Artsakh. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that. They could care less. The other day, about a week ago, um, the Armenian women, they, they asked, uh, Bishop Jose Gomez of the, uh, Los Angeles Archdiocese to host an event. And we went there and, you know, they were going to talk about, the prisoners of Nagorno-Karabakh, and God bless them. God bless. I know their intentions were good, you know, but you go there and it's just all Armenians. We're just talking, preaching to the choir. We had some lawyer that came and she said, "Until every last Armenian is accounted for, we will not rest." And everybody applauded. That's great, but who's your audience right there? Right? It's like building 
you know, it, it's like if the Indian population wanted to build a museum, would they put it on a reservation or would they want to put it someplace prominent? And yet Armenians are building an, uh, a museum, not in Washington, D.C., but in Glendale. Like, you know, like, okay, come and applaud your own people. Preach to the choir. Anyway, what we do by doing things like that is we start polarizing ourselves. And we no longer become members of the larger community, the global community. I sat and I listened to a lawyer the other day who she spoke about the need for us to stand up as Armenians for the Armenian people of Artsakh. And it was a beautiful, beautiful speech. Except for one thing. She stopped there. She stopped there. We have to help because they're Armenian. We have to help everyone. We should be the first voice right now against what's going on to the Palestinians. We should be the first voice right now to talk about what's going on in the Congo. And I'm very, very glad that we, as, as a ministry, we do that. We do that, but there aren't that many. There are not that many people who are doing this. We are still playing our games of this is Armenian this is Italian, this is Rwandan, and look what the South Africans did. Ah! The South Africans pushed it. They took Israel to court. They said, what you're doing is genocide. Now that, that to me was an important, important moment. South Africa, they know what genocide is. They know what it means. For intolerance. They know what apartheid is all about. And they're calling Israel on it. Do we have the courage to do the same thing? Jesus Christ had the courage to do that. He had the courage. And it cost him his life. Let me let me not... Um, <laughs> let me not give you any false illusions that what we're talking about is very easy. But what I'm talking about is that at some point, somebody needs to change the conversation. That we don't put out fires with fire, we put it out with a hose, with water. And that's all I'm saying, is can we start talking about difference because you know all of this is nonsense that somehow by listening to the news and getting the news and taking listening to different podcasts you're going to get information about what's going on you know what the information is you know that people are being killed you know that people are being bombed what are you doing about it just getting information yeah there's a lot of people who love that information hounds they get information oh yeah 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 i know what's going on that's a terrible thing that's a terrible thing i had a guy come up to me today just today he came up to me and he says what's going on in jerusalem the armenians in jerusalem it's a terrible thing i go yeah well it is terrible what's what's happening over there he says well they're signing away the deeds they're giving away the deeds to the armenian quarters and he says they don't have the right to do that the Armenian quarter belongs to the Armenian people, not to a few people. Okay, that, that's very nice rhetoric, you know. Yeah, that, that's very nice. It belongs to all the Armenians. But in reality, in reality, it takes a signature to give away property. And the person who signs it is authorized and is vested with that authorization right now. 
And that's the person who's giving it away. So stop fooling yourselves with the rhetoric that these things belong to us, these are our things. No, you want to take credit for these. You want to be a, a person who is talking about these things. Then act about it. And the very simple thing is to resist what is going on right now in Israel or what Israel is doing to the Palestinians. What Russia is doing to the Ukrainians. Last year when I went out in solidarity with the Ukrainians, oh, did I get criticism? Do you know that the Ukrainians were against the Armenians? How could you go stand? Well, at some point, somebody needs to stop. Somebody needs to say this is wrong. And this is where we need to have the courage. This is what Jesus calls us to do. Have the courage to do it. And that's why I'm telling you the 50 days of Advent are about the essential teachings of Jesus. And those essential teachings are so important because they are radically different than what the Old Testament has taught us. A lot of people get caught up in the Old Testament theology. And in there, it's about people killing each other. Blood gets blood. You have stories of Cain and Abel. You know, one brought, Jesus, one brought God an offering of meat, and the other one brought some vegetables. And God liked the meat instead of the vegetables. We have stories where um, Moses separates the waters, the Red Sea, and the Israelis go through, but the Egyptians, they get flooded, those horrible Egyptians. We've got to get out of this mindset that God plays favorites with one over the other. Do you believe that God is the author of life? That's a simple question. Do you believe that God is the author of life? Yes, I do. All life? Yes, I do. Okay. Then let's start from that premise. Every one of us is a creation of God. Every one of us comes into this world with the potential of doing that good. Let's encourage one another. Let's work with one another. Let's start talking to one another instead of putting up these walls and these barriers that prevent us, prevent us from doing any of this. And, I, I, you know, it's easy for me to sit here with a microphone and, and make a, a little... Um, recording and send it out. The hard part is can we change this into a, a means of helping others? And that's where our arm in his shoes comes in, to walk in the shoes of others by helping people. We just sent over uh, donations to small little things. These are not major earth-shaking, earth-shattering things. These are small little donations, 10,000 here, 5,000 there, 20,000 there. Okay, we do that. There, there's, It's just money. But what it does is it starts getting us to believe that we can make a difference in the lives of people. We can do that. And we need to be able to be courageous enough as Jesus challenges us. To do the things that are uncomfortable and maybe say that these things are wrong. Like I said, I'm going to put a link on the show notes to everything we talked about. I hope you'll take some time and, and look through those and um, we'll talk more about this. Let's take a break right now, okay? I do every week. We play a song of the day. I hope you enjoyed this one.
From the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowd, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you, when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if that salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you will be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be praised by others. 
Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Therefore pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you yours. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Do not store for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, and they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For I tell you, the heathen strive for these things. Instead, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. 
Ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there any one of you, if your child asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if a child asks for fish, will any of you give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Well, that was something different, right? I wanted you to hear the Sermon on the Mount. That's excerpts from the Sermon on the Mount. It appears on an album called Focused Vision. And we did that back in 2002. The flautist that you hear there is Andrea Kirazian. She played a mean, mean flute as she played the background music with Horut Horhin. A little bit different than just the song of the day. I wanted you to hear the essence of what the Sermon on the Mount is. And I hope you'll agree with me. It is revolutionary. It is different. Okay, let's get back to our show and I'll wrap it up with a few thoughts, okay? Okay, let me finish off today by sharing with you some things that are happening at Apostle.net. Apostle.net, you know, is something that we started off just a couple years ago, and it is now the flagship for our In Issues ministry. We originally, we've, we've been struggling with the idea of where In Issues fits in. In Issues is really a philosophy. It's a philosophy of helping others by walking, by understanding empathy, by not only sharing that pain, but understanding, feeling the pain of others. And you do that by walking in their shoes. And so it becomes an arm of epostle.net. Now, our epostle.net is growing, and I hope that you are following us on our website. We have daily messages. Every day, there is a new message that comes out, and I hope you'll follow those. We have weekly messages. One is called Giragi, a wonderful show. It takes place every Sunday evening, 5 o'clock our time, which is Pacific Daylight time or Pacific Standard Time, excuse me. And um, yeah, in a couple months, it'll be Pacific Daylight Time. Whatever it is, it's whatever Pacific Time is. And it's very easy for you to figure out. Google it and you'll find out exactly what time it is. So five o'clock Pacific Time, we play Giragi. And this is a message just to start off your day. A little bit of Sharagan of hymns and a message that comes to you. We also have this fantastic program by Susanna Bogosian. Highly recommend that you listen if it's just her talking with ordinary people, people who have stories, some about faith, but if you listen very carefully, you'll make the connections. You'll connect the dots to faith. And that's called the 
Basement Tapes with Susanna Bogosian. Please listen to that. It's a great, great show. I love it. I just love her attitude and her ability to really ask the questions without fear of judgment. Let me say it that way. And you'll know what I mean when you listen to it, okay? So we've got those shows that are coming out. We are working on the Metaverse projects. And we, as I told you last time, we debuted the Metaverse on December 10th. And we have another debut coming out on March 2nd, which is going to be the Reclaim Project. Reclaim is reclaiming our faith in this globalized world. Very easy to be a part of that Um There'll be a link on today's show notes. Please, if you can make it, beg, borrow, steal, whatever it takes, get the money to come out to L.A., be at Burbank, March 2nd, and it will be a show, it will be a show that you will enjoy. By show, I mean people engaging in the kind of conversation that you like. And on top of all of this, we have weekly Bible studies. So this is the collection of Epostle material. And I invite you to be part of it. The most easy, the easiest way to get involved is go to our website, epostle.net. That's Apostle with an E, Apostolic Evangelism for an Electronic and Expanding Universe. Okay, that does it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed putting it together. On behalf of my crew, which consists of Susie, who is my producer, and myself, this is Father Voskin, inviting you to check out all the show notes and check us out next week when we will take the next step. Stand by for disclaimer. And now here's the fine print. The information and comments presented within this podcast and our website do not necessarily represent the views of the Armenian Church hierarchy, but are presented as a challenge to define the dynamics of Armenian Orthodoxy in all aspects of life. Listening to these shows is habit-forming. Addictive behavior associated with the next step is rarely, if ever, remedied. Rather, the next step is known to relieve and cure common cases of narrow-mindedness, prejudice, numbskullness, and glaucoma in patients over the age of 20. Results may vary depending on credit rating. Findings are based on double-blind studies conducted in Istanbul and Jerusalem. Side effects include mind expansion, clarity of focus, higher rates of heart palpitations, sensitivity to the pain of others, and occasional nausea. The management and projection crew vpostle.net take full responsibility for changes you will experience. Not valid with any other offer. I forgot to ask you if uh, you're seeing the same sky as we are. Uh, Bye.